It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, I made a list, Pete, and I'm depressed looking at this list. We did this a lot last year, the first ever year of the RICO, where we would keep track of the best wins and the worst losses of the year. And at the end of the year, we kind of knew, okay, these were the best wins. These were the worst losses. They didn't have a lot of bad losses last year till the very end. So I made a list of the best wins of the year and the worst losses of the year. I tried to do a five, just a five, like a top five. The losses I came up with, let me see, two, four, six, eight. I came up with 11. <laughs> 11 losses. And I know that it can't be 11. I got to cut it down. So I'm going to do my best to cut down these losses. And you'll remember all these games. And you tell me which is the worst of the worst. Are you ready? Go. Let's go. I'm down. <laughs> all right. April 5th in Milwaukee. Garrett Mitchell, game-winning home run against Adam Adovino. The Mets had a 6-4 to lead in the fifth inning. Okay, we got that one. May 27th in Colorado. The Mets are down 6 nothing. They rally. They take a 7-6 lead in the seventh. They lose the game 10 to 7. Then we got June 3rd against Toronto. This is a, this could sneakily be the number one loss of the year. It was right as the Mets season was about to spiral and we didn't even know it. Francisco Lindor can't make a defensive play up one nothing, allows the Blue Jays to come back and tie it. This is June 3rd against Toronto. Buck Showalter doesn't walk Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with Kevin Biggio on deck. Vlad gets the game winning hit. Mets lose to Toronto 2-1. to one. You got the three games in Atlanta. I mean, really, you could take your pick, but I think the ultimate was the finale of that series where they lost 13-10-10. They led 9-5 to five in the fifth. They led 10-6 to six in the sixth. They led 10-7 to seven in the eighth. And Ozzie Albies hit the game-winning walk-off three-run home run in the bottom of the tenth. We got that one. We got June 13th against the Yankees. Max Scherzer has a 5-1 to one lead, and he blows it. And then the Mets blow numerous scoring opportunities, including a big one in the eighth inning. They lose 7-6. Then you got June 25th in Philadelphia. Mets blow a 6-3 lead in the eighth. Buck Showalter has no idea how to use his bullpen. Mets lose to the Phillies 7-6. Then you've got June 29th against Milwaukee. Mets lose 3-2. Starling, it was the Starling Marte game. He grounds into a double play with the bases loaded, and then he strikes out to end the game on three pitches that weren't even close. And then you got the Friday game against the Giants, June 30th, when David Robertson gives up the game-winning home run to Patrick Bailey in the eighth inning. Those are all the brutal losses. I, I may have missed a few, but that's a lot of them. Of the ones I picked or one I forgot, which one takes the cake as the worst loss of the first half? 
I think the worst one is the Robertson one because that was the the guy that you least had expected it to come from. Like other times, you're like, oh, okay, I guess. But that moment right there killed more than anything else. That was like you, we everything we could have asked for and more, we did, and we still screwed up. I think that, along with the Guerrero Junior, like you said, I think that's up there as a sneaky one as well. One and two. Yeah, I, boy, I was battling with this one. I think the last game in Atlanta is my winner. You get swept by the Braves, the ultimate indignity of being swept by Atlanta. You have a four-run lead in the fifth. You have a four-run lead in the sixth. You have a three-run lead in the eighth inning, and you lose 13-10. And that whole game, it felt like you were waiting for the inevitable. Like you're sitting there waiting for how are they going to blow this game? I'm looking back at my scorecard from this game. I want to cry. I mean, I'm just looking at looking at this whole thing. They score five runs in the second inning against Spencer Strider. They've beaten the crap out of them. They were up eight to five, nine to five, nine six, ten six, ten seven, and then just they freaking implode. They blow the game. David Robertson gives up a game tying home run to Orlando Arcia with one out and nobody on. How disgusting is that? Yuck. You got Drew Smith giving up a two run home run to Travis Darno that made it a 10 9 game. You have the Mets doing nothing in the 10th inning, and then Albies hitting the grand, uh, the game winning three run home run. It sent the Mets to 30 and 33. It sent them eight and a half games out of first place. It pretty much ended the divisional race. And really, now the spiral was already going on because that was their sixth straight loss. They had gotten swept by Toronto and then they went to Atlanta. But I think that one takes the cake. The Philly one's up there too. The June 25th game against the Phillies is up there. I get your point about Robertson and how it came out of nowhere. I think I was numb by that point. Like, I think I was just, yeah, we're done. I mean, okay, we suck. What more can we see? So I'm going Atlanta June 8th, the wrapper-upper. Because also, let's not forget, they blew a three-run lead in game one. They blew a three-run lead in game two. They blew a four-run lead in game three. And you know what else about that? You know what else about that game, Pete? What's that? Remember, that was the game that made me go so crazy. I was calling everybody a piece of crap. Oh. Piece of craps. Piece of that craps. That is. Piece of craps. <laughs> they are. Piece of craps. <laughs> they are. What can I tell you? But, but the pitching performance is a piece of craps, not the human being. Of Just course. That. Of course. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the wins because there were some good wins this season, despite being, you know, six games under 500. Here are the ones I pulled as the best wins of the year. April 16th in Oakland. Complete the sweep against the A's. Pete Alonso hit a game-tying home run in the ninth inning with one out. We forget about that. One out, nobody on, down a run. Alonso game-tying home run, and then David Robertson got through the 10th, got through some trouble to complete the sweep. And I remember the Rico we did after that game where we both said it just felt like a loss. It felt like one of those, ah, we won the series, kind of sucks to lose to the A's, but hey, what can you do? And they won that game. And that was really the height of the season. I mean, the Mets were really good in April. (laughs) For a while, they were really good. A few days later also, the day Max Scherzer was ejected, Jimmy Yacobonis comes out of the bullpen and the Mets beat the Dodgers to win that series. I thought that was a great victory. 
Uh, April 27th against Washington, they avoided getting swept by the Nationals. They blew an, a four-run lead in the eighth inning, so it felt like it was going to be a devastating loss. And then they rallied to win it in the bottom of the eighth inning. So it was more like a salvage victory than anything else. Then you got May 17th. That caused us to do an instant reaction drive home. They were down 5-2 to two to the Tampa Bay Rays in the bottom of the ninth inning, and Francisco Alvarez hit a dramatic game-tying three-run home run. And then to top it all off, Pete Alonzo, with the Mets down by two in the bottom of the 10th inning and one out, hits a game-winning walk-off three-run bomb. So game-tying home run, two outs in the ninth inning by Alvarez, game-winning home run by Pete Alonzo with one out in the bottom of the 10th inning against Tampa, and that led to the hot streak. They won the next day against Tampa. They swept the Cleveland Guardians. They also had a win two nights later against Cleveland when they were down 5 nothing. They were down 7-3. Pete Alonzo hit the game-tying grand slam in that game, and then they eventually won it on a Francisco Lindor RBI single. And in that game, too, they rallied from two down in the bottom of the 10th inning against Cleveland on May 19th. The win against the Yankees when Brandon Nimmo hit the game-winning walk-off home run in the 10th. And then the game from a week ago where Francisco Alvarez hits the game, tying home run, and Mark Canna gets the game-winning RBI triple against the Diamondbacks. Am I missing anything? Or of those, best win of the year, Pete? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. There's not many. I mean, I, that might be all the wins they had this season, to be honest with you. I mean, it's so minimal. But uh, I, there's – it's a – I don't want to say it's a tie because you got to choose one. I think the most exciting win was the Tampa Bay game because there were so many ups and downs to that. And then a, a close second is the July 5th game with Alvarez because Cody sang a pitch perfectly and we're sitting there. Well, besides the one mistake, and we think that, that this game is just, again, here we go again, another decent game, but no one could hit. And Alvarez with the last strike ties it up and they find a way to win that game. Incredible. But I think the Tampa Bay game is, edges it because of the ups and downs. I'm with you. Those are the two games that jumped out at me. Um, The third one I want to throw in there is the Cleveland game because it was two days after the Rays comeback, and they were down 5 nothing in this game. And it felt like, all right, they're going to lose. And they're down 7-3 in the seventh inning, and you've got the Alonzo Grand Slam where he almost falls all over himself and then rallying in the tenth inning the way they did. Alvarez actually got the game-tying hit there too. Uh, with two outs, which we should not forget about. Two outs, bottom of the 10th inning, down by one against Emmanuel Classe. 0-2 in the count. Hits a ground ball, base hit past third, and then Lindor got the game winner two batters later. Um, I kind of lean towards Tampa because I was there. And I don't want that to be the reason I pick it, but I was in the building. It was electric. It was amazing. I was not there for the comeback on Friday against Cleveland. But sometimes I think kind of like the Atlanta game. What made the Atlanta loss so bad in game three was that I felt like I was watching a replay of game one and two. So when something really bad happens and then it happens again, it's almost worse. It's why I think the 2015 World Series is more painful to me than 2000. Obviously, the Yankees being you know blood rivals and your neighbors, you would think makes it worse. But what made it worse is that I felt like I was watching it again. So to me, what made the Brave game the worst is that it felt like I was watching it again. My whole point of saying this is what made the Cleveland win maybe better than the Tampa win is that I couldn't believe I was watching it again. 
Like the opposite. I, I couldn't believe. Like, are they really going to rally again two days later? They're going to come back against one of the best closers in baseball. Francisco Alvarez is going to get a game tying hit behind in the count 0 and 2. So I, I don't know. The more I think about it, it may be that May 19th game against Cleveland. I, I think if this season turns and it looked like it was turning when they had that comeback against Arizona, the back to back losses to end the first half kind of spoil it. But if this season turns, I think we may look back at the July 5th game as the game that turned the season. We're not going to do that with those games in May because they had June because they had the the worst June ever. So it's tough to look at a win in May and say, ah, that's the win that turned their season around because it didn't. So I think that the history of this season may give us a different result on how we feel about the best win of the year. I I agree. And also just to go back to the Tampa game too, that was a really youthful day with Vientos getting a base hit, Alvarez getting a home run. So that made that a little bit more special for some of us because we've been clamoring for the young kids to be called up. But you're right. The July – listen, recent recency bias. That's what it comes down to. And we, that's what's been the most recent memory in our head is that that moment could turn things around. So I said on the last Rico that we did, I'd like to see this team get to 500 by August 1st. The more math you do, the more you realize that's probably not happening because they have to go 11 and four in their next 15 games. And that would get them to one game above 500 by August 1st. I think the real question is going to be where do they have to be standings wise for this team to buy, sell, or do nothing? And I'll start by saying this, Pete. I do not see a scenario where they buy. Like, I don't see it. I just, I think the only buying they would do would be paying for guys, kind of like they did with uh, the acquisition of, uh, what's his name, of uh, Trevor uh, Gott. Trevor Gott. Trevor Gott. My apologies. I'm sorry, the Gott family. (laughs) Name a name, bitch. Uh, The acquisition of Trevor Gott. I think those are the kinds of moves they're going to make. I see no scenario where they're buying like real rentals because I just don't think there's enough time to make up enough ground where Steve Cohen and Billy Apple are going to say, sure, go all in. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah. I, I see if anything, the only, there's two scenarios. It's staying still or trading away guys like Mark Canna, David Robertson, Tommy Pham. Hopefully his injury is not too bad. and They can actually get something for him if that's what they choose to do. And I just want to preface that by saying, preface what I'm saying right now is, I'm not saying the season is completely done. I still feel like there's opportunity for this team to turn things around. I just know that they're not going to be actively sell, uh, buying. That just that, and regardless, it's partly because I don't think they're going to maybe be able to make that splash they need anyway. And there just isn't enough time, and I don't think there's going to be enough players out there, like you said. Um, There's a difference, though, between selling where you're done and selling where you're like, yeah, we still have a shot. David Robertson being sold means you're done. Means you're done. I said it earlier. He's the MVP of the team in the first half. Like, you trade David Robertson, you're saying we're done. We're out. You sell Carlos Carrasco, that's not giving up. 
because you can rationalize, well, I got Verlander, I got Scherzer, I got Quintana coming back, Peterson's look good, Senga's an all-star, I'm fine. Now, I'm not saying there's much of a market for Carlos Carrasco, and I think that's part of the problem when we talk about the idea of selling. They have 15 games before the trade deadline, 15 games before August 1st. I just don't know. There's definitely not enough that could happen that would get you into the race enough to say, let's buy. Is there enough to happen where you sell? Yeah. I mean, if you're sitting 12 games out of a wild card spot, what are you doing? But even if you decide to sell, I don't know if there's much worth it because as down as we are on Max Scherzer, to pay off most of his contract to get back a B-level prospect feels like a really bad decision. It doesn't feel worth it. It doesn't. And that's what it comes down to with a lot of these guys. Like, unless you're getting something worth it, why am I doing it? Like, I may as well just keep them on the team because they may be a part of my team next year. Well, I mean, like a guy like Omar Narvaez, you just spent, you got two years for him, right? He's been injured for most of it. Is he valuable somewhere? Possibly. Will you get a better prospect back if you pay for next year too? But how much, and and again, I think that Steve Cohen said he doesn't care. He'll pay for everything, but there's only so many catches you could pay for in a season. (laughs) <laughs> they already paid McCann, Navarez, Nitto. I mean, geez. The Orioles are having a great year. So the joke is, ah, look, James McCann. Have you seen James McCann's numbers in Baltimore? I don't recall how, oh, how I, bad. I got, I, for anyone who hasn't seen him, I'll, I'll read him to you because they will make you laugh. Uh, sometimes you trade someone away and they, they, they make you pay. Look, I mean, Travis Darno has become a really good Major League Baseball player after they got rid of him. James McCann this season is hitting 186, a 546 OPS with three home runs and eight RBIs. For context, last year he had a batting average that was nine points better and an OPS that's basically the same. So he has repeated pretty much what he's done last year in Baltimore and he stinks. So I don't know if that makes anybody feel better, but you know what made me feel better? And it was like torture porn to the greatest. It was, uh, I saw someone. <laughs> post and took the time to make a two and a half minute video of him grounding into double plays last year <laughs> as a met it was just it was incredible it was it, i watched every minute i watched it twice <laughs> if there is one huge huge positive from 2023's first half is that last year we spent a year watching james mccann tomas nito and a dash of patrick mazika behind the plate and this season we're watching francisco alvarez so that is, uh, that's as much of an upgrade as one can get. So at least we appreciate that. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you downloading and listening. Uh, definitely email the pod anytime you have a thought. The Rico B at gmail.com. And your thoughts on MVP of the first half, on bust of the first half, and on the best wins and losses. Maybe we missed one. I doubt it, but maybe we did. You can always email the pod. We'll read it the next time around. The Rico B at gmail.com. As we get ready for the second half of the season, beginning on Friday night at City Field, obviously we'll have pods over the weekend, wrapping up the three-game series, and maybe even a drive home. You never know. We appreciate you listening to the All-Star Break edition of Rico Brody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 